Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Tom Shin. Tom is the Director of Talent Acquisition and Workforce Services at a very cool company called Alant Workforce Solutions. And before we get into what Alant is all about, what it does and who it helps, firstly, Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Ben, for having me. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to get into all about the business and your background and stuff like that, but I've got to ask the tough questions first. Do you play the ukulele? I do. I have three of them. Yeah, I've got a favorite one upstairs. It's a tenor ukulele, but I'm still a work in progress, but it's one of my outlets. I asked because my youngest, I just got a ukulele for my youngest and it's just sort of a magical, very happy instrument. So It is. When I started fiddling with it, you know, I got a couple of books on Amazon or the music store and so forth. And that wasn't really doing it for me. You could learn, you know, your basic ABC kind of thing, but it wasn't yeah. really exciting. And then during the pandemic, I found some YouTube channels and there's a guy, Andy's Guitar, teaches some basic ukulele lessons. And that just got me started. And from there, it's really more, what songs am I interested in? What kind of strumming pat? And so it's so complex. And then I listen to somebody like Dave Matthews. Yeah. I'm like, this is not my thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's good, Tom. I'm glad you have got the creative and the business sides going on in your life. So very good. Tell us a little bit about Alant and your place in that. So Alant Workforce Solutions, you've got, I guess, a focus on the talent acquisition, talent sort of management side of things. What are the kinds of challenges you help employers solve? And then what are the services that you provide to solve those? So the services are sort of a la carte in some respects, but they're really based around what organizations need meaning we have a lot of really talented individuals on our team that can help in different aspects. But, you know, overall, Alant is a workforce solutions company. So that sounds fluffy, I know. But <laughs> when we talk about just recruiting, it's not just recruiting. It's what's your process like? What's your onboarding experience like? What's behind the scenes? What do you get into in terms of organizational culture and development opportunities for learning and training? What's the first 30, 60, 90 days look like? What sort of struggle points? Where's your drop off? All those elements help feed us into a solution. And sometimes that's, hey, let's talk about your employment brand. You're struggling bringing people to the table, right? Even if you have the greatest job and the greatest company in the world, if you're not branding it right, we'll help with that. If you have an issue with you know, why people want to come to you. Well, that's the employee value proposition part of the equation. We'll talk to you about that. You need something that's different than a traditional quote unquote headhunter. Okay, let's have a conversation and see what makes the most sense. Sometimes there are different factors at play, budgets, how POs are constructed. So we can get a little creative in our solutions to give that right answer, but it's got to be a two-way street. I often will have conversations where folks are like, this is the number, this is it. We're not bending off this. There's only so much we're going to do with that. It's got to be beneficial on both sides. Otherwise, there's no partnership at all. Yeah, that so makes sense. From what I do there is I develop relationships. I help different organizations kind of see, all right, here's what you're asking me for. But what I'm hearing is X and Y and Z. Those seem like they might have an impact on the situation. Let's delve a little further. So inevitably, it's usually the recruiting piece of it. 
and we add a little bit more to that, sort of the accoutrements that go with a meal and figure out what's the right solution and guide folks along with that. Sometimes they don't realize it. You know, a lot of times we run into, and I'm sure you see this around the world, but the folks that you talk to is those HR departments of one, or maybe it's an HR yeah. department of a half because someone's wearing accounting hats and operation hats and all sorts of other stuff. Well, we can be that guide. We can help you connect with some other players if it's not something that's in our wheelhouse. And so being that solution provider, that connected spoke, you know, we're kind of that center hub to help people connect with the places that they need to be. Yeah. And just so I get it clear in my brain, if you have a section of, you know, clientele that are the HR department of one or a half, whatever, does that mean you sort of focus on the SME market or what's your typical range? And also I forgot to ask your geography, like I know you're New York based, but you know, where do you serve? So we our office is based in the Albany, New York region, but we place folks all over the country. So it can be in Ohio, it can be in Georgia, it can be in Boston, anywhere in New York State, obviously, that's close. We understand New York, we understand the New York laws and regulations and all that. But we work with companies all over the US that doesn't necessarily have to just be in the US, especially with the technology that we have at our fingertips in terms of both the Zoom pieces, right? So you can get on, have a face-to-face interview with just about anybody but also the other recruiting tools. As far as you know, where we sit, as far as that SME side of things, from a workforce solutions, from a recruitment standpoint, yes, it's everything you're thinking about in terms of finding the candidate and placing them in your organization and all the tangent circles that go around it that folks don't factor into that headhunting type of discussion. They think you have a magic hat, it's full of people, you wave your wand and poof, the rabbit appears and off into the sunset you go. There's way more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. And earlier you sort of you were talking about the different services and that it's not just the hiring part, it's what comes next. And for me, that always sort of reminds me of that joke about the person being hired for a company, they're wined and dined and charmed, and then they arrive and they come into the office as an employee on their first day and it's hell, you know, there's fire and brimstone. And what happened? Oh, we were hiring you, now you're staff and <laughs> evil laugh. I just think it's so important to have that back end, whether that's the onboarding process, the development planning and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of where you help out after the recruitment phase, is that right? Right, we'll talk about that all on the front end. What does all of this look like? And sometimes, you know, there's that conversation that you have with folks. There's what you know, there's what you don't know, and there's what you don't know you don't know (laughs) in the middle. And we help suss some of that out. So that way we can really say, well, this is what's gonna happen. Oh, you know, you wanted the start day of October 1st, but you're going on vacation that week. Doesn't make sense. Even the simplest little things like that, or who's going to go to what conference and what does the training period look like and who's going to be involved. All of that helps weave a story for the candidate when we're trying to present a role as we reach out to call, email, text, different folks in the market. Like, here's what you've been asking for. This is the right opportunity to engage in conversations with, but you don't get that without asking the questions. And that's, again, on the front end, all the preparation, the process that we go into really brings that to light. Yeah. A company like yours, where you do help employers around the country and in different sectors of the labor market, you're going to see ups and downs in terms of skill shortages, labor shortages, you know, the the struggle to attract good talent and so on. What do you say to employers when there is that dearth of talent, when it's just not much around and it's hard to get good people and maybe they can't compete with the Apples and the Googles for the salaries and benefits? What's your advice to them in that situation? Yeah, well, I think the number one thing to get away from is thinking nobody wants to work. That's a common thread that I hear from a lot of folks. The answer is the people that you want are working for somebody else and you have to make it attractive enough to invite them to the table for a conversation. 
Some of those are quick turnaround, meaning start and finish a few weeks, get them hired, so on and so forth. Yes, that's the perfect scenario. Almost perfect. We'll say that. But there are other long-term conversations that you have to continue to monitor and maintain over time, whether it's three months, six months, a year, sometimes longer to, you know, when you latch into a candidate who has the internal attributes that you're after, the right communication style, the organizational skills, maybe the timing's not right. doesn't mean that that recruitment process has to stop. It just means that the start date's pushed out or they have friends, they have colleagues, they have a network. Maybe one of their folks, one of their friends or colleagues is that right fit at the right time. So that recruitment process for those organizations where talent is hard to find, don't give up the fight, but start thinking about what you're not doing. And I know it's really hard for businesses. We're doing everything we can. We're advertising on the radio. We're putting it in the newspaper, we're putting it on billboards. Okay, but think about where your candidates are sleeping and lying and eating and going to, whether it's you know evening events, if it's a tech thing, Look at those associations. You know, when you talk to marketing folks, they put the billboard where the billboard makes the most sense, right? It's on the road that people are going to travel on. You have to figure out where candidates are traveling. And also some smart billboards that you see as in clever billboards, they realize that someone's driving, for example, or they're in transit. And so they'll shape the messaging or the images and stuff for the billboard for that situation. So if it's a train station, it'll be something to do with travel. And while you're standing around waiting for your train, why don't you go to this website and check out our careers or whatever it may be, or buy our t-shirt, who knows? So yeah, I love that, that you're being creative to think about where can we find it, tap into these other markets and stuff and leverage our different networks and stuff, and then see how we can sort of shape the messaging around that to encourage them to, as you said, at least start the conversation. And that's it. And once you know, like there's the old conversation point of you buy from people you know and trust. And you can't know and trust people until you start having conversations. And, you know, you think about the joke of, all right, where's the steak and lobster? Where's my dinner? Where's my souffle for dessert? Or where's the courting? There's a relationship building piece to this. Some of those can happen really fast, but some take time. Some of them require those accoutrements, which is the first time anyone's ever used that word on this podcast. So thank you very much. I get a gold star. <laughs> on the employer branding side of things, because you mentioned, you know, get past that notion that no one wants to work, or whatever. I remember seeing some image or some picture on the internet somewhere of a, a factory in Michigan and a big sign outside that said, if you aren't too lazy to work, then we've got some jobs available. I thought, wow, that's wonderful employer branding. Good luck with the hiring process. Any thoughts on how to structure or position employer branding beyond getting into networks and stuff? Any advice on how to put the best foot forward as a company? So Part of that, and that stretches into my other work, you know, just a little bit in terms of the identity, but part of what we'll do on the employment branding side is identify who you are. What is the fabric of your organization? And that starts with the people that are in the inside. Then you start to delve into exit interview information. You know, when folks leave, what were they missing out on? It's a really introspective process to identify, here are our strengths, here are our shortcomings. These are opportunities for us to take advantage of. It's kind of like when you have somebody who has a problem, but they don't want to admit it. Sometimes those situations exist. If you're acknowledging, hey, here's what I'm great at. Here's not what I'm great at. That's part of that process and discovering who you are. What does the world think of you? And we do a heavy amount of research in those projects where we can identify when a candidate's searching for you, here are the things that they're looking at from your Facebooks to your LinkedIn's and so forth. We look at all of that to help sort of carve out, here's the existing message. What are you trying to say based on who your organization's brand is, meaning what are your mission, your values, your leadership, and your employees believe in? And let's craft some messaging around that because ultimately, 
what you're trying to do, again, is you're trying to draw that candidate from another business. What's going to make them want to apply? What's going to make them be interested? Is it the volunteerism that you support within your organization? Is it the community involvement in terms of within the work community? Do you have employee resource groups that support different interests that, again, support the mission of the organization and the vision of where you're going? But the employees today, so much has changed over the last few years, but they want to know what's in it for them. And if you can't illustrate that on the branding side, you're going to miss out on great candidates because there are some great organizations out there doing a fantastic job of branding themselves. And they pulled the curtain back. There's a number of organizations that just don't want to do that. They feel like this transparency, like they don't need to know that. They don't care about that. They do employees today and especially the younger generation. They want to know. I've got college age kids. They ask questions and it's not the same questions you or I asked. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny as an analogy that the food industry kind of gets it. They understand that people want to know what goes on to make the products such as, you know, a block of cheese. We source the finest, freshest milk sauces or this or that. And the way we age the cheese in this oak barrel, you know, I don't know. I'm obviously not an expert cheese maker, but you get, they explain the process. And I think you're right, pull back the curtain and reveal what is good about the workplace. You know, how does communication work and some of its benefits and stuff like that. But the other part is getting involved and how can you get into projects to accelerate your career and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely. You alluded to do some other projects and things like that. So I guess you're talking about build better culture, which I think is a fascinating thing. Some people would often think that doing sort of side projects and stuff like that is a terrible thing. Whereas I've done that all my life. I've built programs and training and support and stuff, which I feel enhances a person's job and career. So can you tell us what is Build Better Culture and then how does it fit into your work life as well? So Build Better Culture was this long yearning, I'll call it, from some long ago training and development programs that I'd been lucky enough to participate in and learn from. And as I spent the bulk of my career in staffing and recruitment, you know, you saw organizations that struggle with their frontline leaders. They promoted the person that was there for 20 years or 10 years or whatever it was because they were the quote unquote logical choice, not because they had great leadership skills, not because they inspired people, but because they did their job really well, right? And that's kind of what folks think. Hey, if I do my job really well, I'll become a manager and a manager become a director and so on and so forth. I saw a gap in what frontline leaders were connecting to. And again, because I'd had some exposure to some leadership development in my past, it just pointed out to me, all these organizations, if they help their frontline leaders, those are the folks in front of your hourly employees, your entry-level employees, how they think of work, how they think of it when they're not at work, you know, if they can affect them and inspire them and motivate them, that's the biggest impact on your organization. And there's a theme throughout, you have to have support from top down, but if you just pick one leader at a time, yes, that's important when you have somebody who needs some skill development. But if you're missing out on the ones who are touching the people day to day, it's a lost opportunity. And I saw it as a chance to take some of my knowledge experience from what I've learned and studied. And I use a culture talk program to help me identify some of the identities of what an organization is and who an individual is at heart. But you take that information and you start to create some language and some translation to help them better explain. So for example, you run into an introvert who's a leader harder for them to communicate in person. It's uncomfortable, right? Helping them with some language and some examples and teaching them how to have some of those harder conversations makes it a little bit more successful for them. They don't need to be 
you know, the next Simon Sinek. They just need to be a little better than they were yesterday. And so that's kind of where Build Better Culture started. And that was pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic happened. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I stayed the course. And so it sits really well alongside my current day job, if you will, if you put that in air quotes. It's not a day job. It's a career. I've been in staffing and recruiting for almost 20 years. So it's kind of my lifeblood. And it sits really well because often you run into situations where, all right, we live in the recruitment space, but there's some culture things going on here. There's some leadership development things going on here. And I can go in and help with that. And, you know, fortunately, my company is very welcome and embraces that element because I can add some extra, you know, seasoning to conversations on those fronts. I completely agree. Throughout my career, I ran training courses and workshops and stuff, either at nighttime, taught night school classes and things like that. Sometimes I'd take a day off here and there to actually run a workshop or something or a weekend stuff. And you do, you take it back to the workplace when you can work in examples, whether it be for new clients or for situations at work. I think it adds value to your job. Would you agree? I would. I think it's, you know, we all have knowledge in our head that we want to share and expertise that we want to share, especially from, you know, an experience standpoint. I've had experienced folks work for me. I've had junior folks work for me. And you just share the little nuggets to help them learn how to fish, as I put it, right? There's the, I can fish for you, or I can teach you how to fish. And I don't eat fish. I hate fish. But (laughs) I have to use that because it's a, you know, standard example, but they have to learn somewhere. And taking into account the pandemic where those formative years for some folks in learning communication skills and how to approach things just wasn't there. They were kind of stuck behind the screen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, they need it more than anybody. Absolutely. What would be your advice to someone listening who is in a career, in a job, and would like to do a side project, side gig, side hustle, whatever you want to call it, in terms of speaking to their boss about it? I think it's one of those. So I'll give you the two sides. The boss is going to wonder, is this going to negatively impact what you do in a nine to five basis? Or is it going to amplify it? Yes, me as an individual, I think it's going to amplify it 100%. I'm biased. But I would say that employee who's considering that, think about, you know, put themselves in the boss's shoes, put themselves in the organization's shoes, because there's two hats there. The boss has their interest for their team. The organization has some other vision and, and mission around it. How would this impact them? Is it going to help them? by you being a bigger brand than what you were the day before? Are there other things that are going to help versus hinder? If it's going to get in the way of the nine to five kind of routine, they may not be as welcoming. If you have to do things from 10 to 12, two days a week, and that's going to interfere with very set project meetings and so forth, of course, they're not going to be welcoming to that. But I think you have to lay out the pros and the cons and have that conversation with them earnestly saying, I think I'm interested in doing something like this. And there's a lot of times there's policies about having side things. And if it's in the same space, like I would never dream of doing recruitment on the side, quote unquote, moonlighting. It can't be in the same space, literally, because they're paying you to do one thing and you're doing it at night when it should be for them. That's the wrong thing. It's breach of contract. Yeah. Right. So, but the other example in our world, I see plenty of folks in my space, they want to help people with resumes and they serve resume advice service. Okay. It sits side by side. Our organization, we don't do resumes for folks. We'll give advice, you know, give you a couple little pointers, but we're going to point them in other directions. We have a number of great resources that say, hey, you need a resume, you need a LinkedIn profile, go see this person, that person, this person, that person. But that's where I would start is, does it conflict? 
That's smart. Yeah, good advice. Now back to Alant, you guys do some wonderful education for the industry, for employers. And a big piece of that is the podcast. What's it called? HR in the car, I think it's called. HR in the car. Yeah. Little jingle and everything. Why did you start it? What do you think about it? And is it a useful channel for getting the word out about Alant? Yeah. So we started recording, well, we started in concept January of 23. We started mapping out how long it should be. Who do we want to invite? What's the message? We use it as a vehicle to give back in some respect, where we want to bring attention to some of the great business leaders that we come across. And they don't necessarily have to be in HR. A lot of times we'll come into a business owner or somebody that's in a marketing role. We've had employment attorneys on our show. So there's a variety of voices out there, but ultimately we want to kind of give some limelight or attention to other people that are in our space with some lessons, some very heavy and some very light. It's not meant to be this in-depth hour and a half long episode of you know Stranger Things or something like that. But it's also in my mind, you know, when you run into somebody at a networking meeting, they say, Oh, I saw Joe last week. There's this yearning of, oh, what did I miss out on? I could have been there. <laughs> so when you have that podcast, you almost invite people in that conversation so they can listen in on all the fun things that you talked about. And so they sort of get to know people, again, behind the scenes, some of the stories. And so when they do bump into them, oh, I heard that funny story about you, you know, almost becoming a nun and so forth. You didn't almost become a nun, did you? Oh, no, no, no. One of our guests almost did. And then she left that and went to law school. That was a great story. And it was one of those, you know, for some of our audience or some of our guests, we know a fair amount, but then the stories that come out, you just want to fall on the floor. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's been an enjoyable ride. We put in I think 26 or 27 episodes in the first season. And so we're just mapping out what season two looks like right now. Brilliant. Taking a pretty strategic approach to it. That's really smart. And in terms of advice and experience on the business growth, marketing growth, and you know, lessons learned for other businesses in the broad HR sector, you know, what's worked well in terms of finding new clients and winning more business? What's your advice to others thinking about the same? Don't accept everything. Meaning there are relationships and partnerships across the board that you can have universally. But in terms of that commerce exchange where you're going to agree to work with somebody, make sure you understand what it is that you do well. What's a little outside your boundary, but you're comfortable trying, but what's definitely not in your skill set. And sometimes that's components of what your client or vendor or partners trying to have you do, but it's just not in your wheelhouse. You have to know that boundary and everybody has to be on the same page because otherwise you're not setting clear expectations up front. So you have to really, you know, do a deep dive of saying, yes, I want to be able to help my customer. Am I the right person to help you on with that other piece that's 40% of this ask? You know, if it's a 5%, all right, you realize that's not something I do and you can agree on that stuff. But I think it's really defining the scope of what that partnership and arrangement looks like. And from a relationship standpoint, understanding here's where I'm at. I want to get to know you. I want to build a relationship, have some conversations. Let's get to know each other. Step two would be maybe we have some referrals that we want to share. Step three, maybe we actually work together where I supply you with services and vice versa. But if you can start to have some of those clear conversations, I think it's uncomfortable for folks to say. But once you put it out there, it's a lot easier. Everyone knows. All right. If you think about dating, you're like, we're just at the dating scene, right? We haven't moved in together. We're not getting married. We're not having kids. We're just dating. We're going out on a couple of dates and kind of figuring out who each other are. Yeah. And you're in a pretty tough space. Like it's crowded in the talent acquisition recruitment sector. How do you keep that sort of pipeline full in terms of marketing activities? What do you guys do? 
So the podcast is certainly helpful with that. Uh, we do a fair amount of email campaigns and newsletter outreach. We have a standard on the LinkedIn feed if you want to follow that. There's a number of pieces there that we put out on a regular stream. We have an excellent marketing professional on our team who helps put all this stuff together. It's the smoke and mirrors. So she does a great job of really keeping us on task and having audio material, video material, text material, stuff that'll drive us SEO traffic to our website and our social channels. And we have pretty set cadences to what comes out when, and we try to map out a few months ahead of time. So we know, all right, for the next few months, we're going to be doing this. So right now in between our podcast seasons, we have what we call glove box moments. And so it's a little, maybe 90 seconds, two minute type of one question. Miriam and I just go banter back and forth for two minutes and put that little piece out there as a feeder in between seasons to still keep that HR on the car theme. Yeah. But it's topics like right here in New York state. Recently, we had pay transparency laws go into effect, which is we're in favor of. But we talk a little bit about that in one of those glove box moments. And so it's just topical content that we put out there over and over and over again to let folks know, hey, let's have a conversation. Here are some topics that we're hearing about from our customers and so forth, and or even candidates for that standpoint. You know, here are some things that you may not be considering, and we want to share that information. And so it's opening up conversations, whether it's a public presentation, you know, inviting to a SHRM presentation or other group. We try and do as much of that outreach as we can. That's really clever. I love that that glove box moment. So bite-sized content that you can share on topical issues that you hear of. And what's the kind of reaction, particularly around LinkedIn? Do you get people commenting or contacting you? Do you find that that's a good feedback loop or something like that? We get a lot of good feedback. One of the nice things when I go to a conference or I go to like, we have a local SHRM group that I'm involved with and folks are like, I love the latest episode. I loved hearing this story. You know, the glove box pieces, we've only put two or three of those out yet. So those are still early. But as you know, you've got a couple hundred episodes in the can, as they say. So it takes a while to get some traction. But when you do have some conversations, you know, I keep some extra. I have these little coasters for the HR and the car piece, and I keep those in my portfolio. And so when the topic is right or the timing is right, I whip one out. I'm like, here, here's a QR code. Go listen. Just have some fun. Pick out the one that you like. And, you know, I'll give them, we have air fresheners even that, you know, one of our marketing guru, Paul, he's somebody that helps us with some ideas and other pieces. And he brought us a couple of air fresheners. It was HR in the car theme. It was perfect. So I thought you meant because it was a bad odor of bad employee management. No, no, it's could a- be. That's really great. I love that. And I find as a podcaster, and you're probably the same, little ideas pop into your head. Oh, this would be an interesting topic. And you might be driving or you might be buying your coffee or something. So I'll often just scribble them down into a note on my phone or something like that and come back to them. But yeah. Yeah. We had one guest. She brought us a basket because we would record in a studio live for the most part. She brought a basket. She was it's a roadside assistance kit. And so we started weaving that and it was just, you know, topical pieces that you could say, all right, she had like a cat Burt doll and all sorts of different trinkets in a basket, random stuff. But we started weaving that piece into the show where we would ask our guests, what's in your roadside assistance kit? And so all these car analogy type of things would come into the fray. And so we used flat tire moments for one (laughs) of the episodes. So I'm sure they'll keep coming. You know, as life happens, you think of something when you're driving down the road. So Yeah, brilliant. I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld will be quaking in his boots with his comedians and cars, getting coffee or whatever his show is. But who knows, you'll give him a run for his money. Tom, you've shared so much great advice and insights and tips as well. So if people want to learn more about you or Alant or Build Better Culture, what should they do next? 
Well, I would say, you know, a couple of great venues to find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow a lot there. You can come to our webpage, a lot.com. If you're looking for more of the culture and leadership type of piece, you can find me on buildbettercultureco Again, same kind of social channels that are out there. If you do a Google search, you'll find me. There's not a lot of Tom Shins in the world. So that's to my benefit. There's three of me. There's one in Austria, one in Queens, New York, and then me here in the upstate New York region. So you're in the elite. Very good. So yeah, if you're listening to this on the go, we'll have the show notes with the links in there for you to find. But other than that, Tom, thank you very much for sharing all your tips and advice. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ben. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.